Have you ever wondered what goes on behind the table at a dance competition? Exactly what are the judges looking for anyway? This is Making the Impact, a dance competition podcast. Each week, we'll cover a different topic related to the world of competitive dance from the perspective of the judges behind the table. Hello, everyone. Hi, welcome to Making the Impact. This is Courtney Ortiz, and we are here doing our final live Q&A with Courtney live of season three. So thank you so much to everyone who is joining us and tuning in on Facebook Live today. It's April 5th, so happy April and happy competition season, y'all. We're in the heat of it, and I have been traveling every weekend judging and teaching and just so grateful to be back doing what I love, and I hope that all of you are out there doing what you love as well. Your dancers hitting the stage. All of the judges are out there through IDA. They're having a blast watching the talent around the country. And I hope all of the dance parents and teachers have loved being back in the auditorium watching so many different studios each weekend long. So hope your season's going great, y'all. Thanks for joining us on this live episode. If you have been tuning into season three, then you have heard our previous Q&A with Courtney lives. And today we are going to be uh, sitting down with another IDA judge who's going to answer all of your questions, some pre-submitted questions. And if you have questions throughout the episode while you're watching and joining and tuning in on Facebook, then you can leave them in the comment section below. And don't forget to say hi if you are here. Give us a shout out in the comments. We'd love to see who's joining us and let us know where you're tuning in from and what studio you're connected with if you'd like to share that with us. So thank you so much for tuning in. If you would like to support us, you can buy us a coffee on ko-fi.com slash making the impact. We would so appreciate your support. We are very grateful for all, for all of the generous donations that so many fans and supporters have sent our way already this season. This has been a new addition that we've added to uh, the podcast this season was our Kofi account. And if you want to donate throughout the episode while you're streaming live, then uh, your donation will pop up on the screen once we add our guest. So head on over to Kofi.com slash making the impact to show your love and support now. We are so, so, so grateful. Before we jump into the episode, I want to tell y'all a little bit about something new that we've added to the mix for this season, and that is our brand new Making the Impact Awards. Oh my gosh, how cute are these? The cutest. I absolutely love them. They turned out so great, and they represent our podcast at all IDA-affiliated competition events. So if you have at least one IDA judge on your panel at a live in-person competition event, then that competition will be giving away the Making the Impact Award. And that is going to a dancer from solo to production. It goes to a studio who the judges and it it goes to a dance actually, but you know, the studio gets it too. But it goes to a dance that the judges just cannot stop thinking about by the end of the weekend. It's a judge's choice pick that is selected between all three judges. And it can be in regards to choreography. It can be in, in regards to execution, performance. Whatever it is, the judges want to recognize you for making the impact. So we've been giving away so many awards this uh, season so far. We love seeing dancers send us their photos and tagging us on Instagram and Facebook when they win those awards. So if you do an award, you will also get a shout out live on the podcast. How cool is that? So uh, congrats to everyone who has won a Making the Impact Awards so far this season. Be sure to register it so we can give you that shout out. and. 
keep your eyes peeled for that award if you're attending an upcoming IDA affiliated competition. All right. And we couldn't make this podcast possible without our fabulous sponsors. So I want to introduce you to our very first sponsor of this week's episode. I'm sure we've all been there when your studio asks for a different hairstyle for every single dance at competition. Trying to brush through your dancer's slicked down gelled hair to transform it into its next style is a tough job for any dance parent. Well, I have a solution for you. Introducing Fave 4 Hair Care. Designed by professional moms who were once dancers and now have dancers themselves, they knew exactly what type of products to create to make the dressing room hairstyling easier and safer. Fave 4 offers easy-to-use, brushable, and clean products that can last through every turn, tap, and torgete on a long competition day. Visit fave4.com to learn more about their products now. And be sure to use our exclusive podcast promo to try out their hair care line for your dancer or even yourself. Use the code IMPACT15 in all caps to receive 15% off your very first order on their website at fave4.com. That's F-A-V-E-4.com. Have you ever noticed that dancers are a very specific type of athlete? So don't you think they should be training like one? Introducing Dancer Fitness, the most comprehensive resource for safe and effective strength training for competitive dancers. You can find hundreds of exercises and training plans designed exclusively for dancers from beginner to advanced. Whether you want to practice more consistent pirouettes, gain higher elevation in your jumps, or work on your core strength, dancer-fitness.com has you covered. Monthly memberships start at only $1 per month, and we have a promo code to offer that's exclusive to Making the Impact listeners only. Use the code IMPACT20 for 20% off your very first year at dancer-fitness.com. This offer applies to annual memberships only. Be sure to follow them on Instagram for some great training tips and tricks, and start cross-training your dancers today at dancer-fitness.com. Shout out to our awesome brand new sponsors, two brand new sponsors who have recently joined us on Making the Impact. We are so grateful for your support, Dancer Fitness and Fave4. All right, everybody, it is time to jump on in. I'm excited to welcome our special guest, IDA judge, who is joining us to answer all of your questions today. And this judge has been on previous episodes of our podcast. You may remember her from season one, episode seven, Age Range Expectations as well as season two, episode 29, Music at Competition. I'm very excited to welcome IDA judge Jessica to the podcast. Welcome, Jessica. Hello, hello, everyone. Good to be here. Thank you so much, Ms. Courtney and the Impact Dance Adjudicators for having me today. Of course. I'm so happy that you are here and back on the pod. (laughs) Yes. I know that uh, we were originally supposed to have IDA Judge Choi joining us as well, but sadly, mm-hmm. Choi couldn't make it. So Jess is flying solo and she's going to answer all of your questions, y'all. <laughs> yes, very excited. Awesome. Well, Jess, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about you, where you're based, any credits you'd like to share, and a little bit more for all of our listeners out there. All right. Well, I live in the Philadelphia area, more towards Lancaster County, and my career kind of you know, I started dancing when I was four years old. And I mean, I've just been going ever since. I really think that I've kind of embodied every single aspect of being in the dance world, 
And I'm really, really proud of that. So as a young dancer, I went to nationals and, and danced really hard, went to um, some of the best colleges in the country, danced professionally as a 76er dance team member on the all-star team, as well as in theaters and companies. I decided that being a choreographer and a dance teacher was my passion. Um, love, love. I've been making up dances since I was three years old in my cul-de-sac. So I did that and I was like, you know, I, I want to take it to the next level. So I became the artistic director of a dance company, was leading that for 17 years, was able to have the honor of winning national titles, um, training my dancers to get into the collegiate level on the Dallas Cowgirls, making the dance, making the team, so many wonderful things, achieved uh, outstanding awards for my choreography, um, which I'm very proud of. And I am also proud of being able to work in my community locally here in my high school. I uh, choreograph for our high school musical. So it's a, I like the range. I get to work with like dancers in the studio and then untrained dancers in the high school that really just have so much passion for what they do. I have been teaching for over 20 years in several prestigious schools and have been judging for 10. And I'm a very proud mom of two children, married, and also a costume designer. So there's some of the things I've been doing. <laughs> oh my gosh, you do it all, Jess. You do it all. <laughs> I try. <laughs> oh my gosh. And Jess has been out literally every weekend judging this season. And she's just, you do it all. I, I literally, before we signed on here, I was like, how do you do it? I, I don't know how you be a mom, a dance teacher, a judge. I mean, you don't, you can't get much sleep, I'm sure. <laughs> sleep, we, we find ways to fit it in. You know, we just yeah. find ways to like squeeze a nap in here, 12 to one, whenever we can fit it in. <laughs> That's for sure. Yep. Yeah, well, I love it. Thank you so yeah. much for being on the roster for so many years and supporting IDA. And I'm excited to tackle some questions with you. Happy to be here and help everyone in their journey. That's for sure. Yes. Yay! <laughs> All right. We're going to jump on into the episode. But first, I want to I say hi to some of these awesome people who are tuning in. Oh, my gosh. Christine is coming to us from Australia. I know. I saw that. Christine, what time is it over there? I don't even I can't yes. even do that math in my head. I want to know what time it is in Australia. Thank you for tuning in. Hello to Angie from Wisconsin, Kara from Washington State, Shauna from Arizona, Daphne from Michigan. Oh, my gosh. And then a New Jersey dance mom, Jennifer mm. and Colleen says, Hi, my daughter loved your class at Revel this weekend. Oh, thank you so much, Colleen. That's so sweet. I'm so glad they enjoyed my class. And Mr. Joey Ortolani's in the house tuning in. Hey, Joey, miss you too. I love this. Hi, April from Oklahoma. Wow, so many people are tuning in. Georgia from Rebecca. Let's go, y'all. We have some questions already popping up, but I I'm going to tackle. Uh, yes, I know. This is so great, everybody. Mm -hmm. Thanks for joining. This is mm -hmm. our final one of the season, so maybe that's why. Everybody's mm -hmm. tuning in. Well, we have a pre-submitted anonymous question from a dance parent that I'd love to start off with because I'm sure that there are many other dance parents that are feeling the same thing. So I'm going to have to read this one since it wasn't, you know, I can't post it up on the screen. So here we go. The anonymous dance parent says, I'm struggling with my 10-year-old right now wanting her own Instagram account. I see all the fun benefits, sharing cute pics, connecting with other dancers, showing off your wins, encouraging others, etc. But I also know all the pitfalls since I live in the social world. 
body image, feeling less than perfect when comparing to others, seeing things accidentally she may not be ready for, etc. I could try to run it for her as a parent, but then what's the point? Do teachers really pay attention to kids that follow and tag them? Does that get them noticed more at competitions and conventions? If so, what's a good age to start this? To be honest, I feel so toddlers and tiaras with this and I don't really like it. I don't want to exploit my child and make her quote unquote insta famous. I see so much on social media that I don't agree with, but am I being a boring mom? Wow. (laughs) Great question. Yeah, it is. (laughs) It is a great question. For sure. Mom Jess, so what are your thoughts? Well, I I think it is a really great question, especially nowadays. And um, I have an Instagram account and, you know, I, I always say, do your research. Research will help you decide anything. Um, Talk to other people that might have their children might have an account and see how they do it or, you know, pros and cons, maybe write out a pros and cons list. And then just remember that whatever you put out on social media can never be erased or forgotten. Those are, that's a special word, forgotten. So, you know, we just want to make sure that we're putting great things out in, in the universe and all that. And, um, also I know several college dance teams that will ask you to hand over your phone during college auditions and they will look at all of your social media. So I think it's really important for us to always remember what we're putting on social media. If it was my daughter, I would definitely make it parent run. Like I would Mm -hmm. definitely be monitoring it. Um, I don't think it's of an age where they know they're mature enough to understand certain things. Um, And we would definitely um, be be a part of her doing that. Um, I don't think it's necessary at 10 years old. I think maybe as they grow, I also think instead of investing time on social media, invest more in your dance training and get into the studio, read more. When I feel like I'm scrolling on my social media, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go read. I'm going to, I'm putting my phone down. I'm going to read. I'm going to try to become, you know, more knowledgeable in what I do. So that's my suggestion. Yeah. I think that's great advice. I mean, it's a, it's a tough one. I, I think that social media is just this whole new world that we have to add to our life for sure, but like almost a part of our business. I mean, it's a thousand percent a part of our business, but like is a 10 year old worrying about the business and networking aspect? Like, I I don't know if it's necessary. I I think that as a 10 year old, like just be a 10 year old and just like go have fun. And who cares about social media at 10 years old? But I don't know. I'm not a 10 year old living with social media. So maybe they do care about social media especially if their friend has a phone and their friend has an Instagram. But I think it's the hard part is monitoring what is happening. And Mm -hmm. like you said, Jess, I think that a hundred thousand percent, I think that it would have to be monitored by a parent. I think there are a lot of really sketchy, creepy people out there, y'all. You don't Mm -hmm. know who is behind that phone. You don't know if it's a child or if it's someone who is acting like a child. I mean, oh, yeah, it's 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 scary. And I've I've heard a lot of horror stories of dancers sending photos that they shouldn't be sending to people. I've heard, you know, things like that. Like you said, Jess, they the kids don't know. They don't know what's what's wrong or right, especially in yes. this digital world. So 
if you're if you feel like your dancer wants an Instagram, I think it has to be parent monitored. And that's a, you know, a whole nother job in itself for the parents to have to tackle. And do you have time to do that? (laughs) You know, because our lives and I'm sure as a parent, I can only imagine life is busy. But I will say I will chime in in the fact with the question of do teachers pay attention to that? I'm going to say no. It is not going to make yes. you stand out more because you Instagram messaged me and said you loved my class. Okay, that that doesn't really matter. I'm not being like, oh my god, that was the dancer that totally Instagram messaged me. She gets a scholarship. No, absolutely not. So don't even think like that, everyone. That's I could let you know from an insider that that's not what's happening. Right. Um, no, I agree. But I do think having a social presence once it's time to have one is important, and making sure that we are appropriately presenting ourselves on social media, like you said, things cannot be erased, like you said, Jess. So making sure that everything is is filtered through mom. And it, I also think that mom or dad or whoever's running it needs to understand what's appropriate to post as well, because not all of those dance photos where we're doing tilts in no tights are appropriate for our Instagram, even though you think your leg looks great you don't know who's looking at that photo. Right. And it's also a brand. You're branding yourself. As soon as you start to put something out on yourself, you're creating your self-image, your brand. So you really want to do, again, research on how you want to kind of put your brand out there. Yeah. You know? And this is a good point that Mary just said. I'll pop it up. Mary said, Instagram is age 13. So you'd have to lie about her age. Changing their age will also change filters on content. Really Hmm. great, helpful information from Mary. Thank you so much for, I didn't know that obviously because Instagram was not around when I was 13. So I didn't know there was an age limit on Instagram and that's really helpful. So if it is 13 or under, then you, it needs to be parent monitored if you're making one for your kid. Yes, that is, that's great to know. Great. For my 12 year old son. There you go. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, we have some more questions popping in on the Mm -hmm. live, but I would love to tackle one more anonymous question and then we'll get to some of the ones that have been submitted through our comments right now. So this is another anonymous and this is coming from a studio owner, actually. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Jess. Uh, Their question is, what happens when a choreographer is hired to set pieces at your studio and then a few years later, they set the same piece at another studio? Do don't you own that choreography? That's the question. So I think you need to have a contract with your your choreographers. Number one, that's, you know, have everything written down so that you can protect your studio and your dancers and that, you know, that they're also in safe hands. But the studio should own the choreography. You're paying for that product. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that unless it says stipulates in the contract you know, we'll let you like re choreograph this after five years or something like that. Cause I know they, there are some contracts that say that I did have a conversation recently with uh, someone that actually experienced this. We'll call it studio a hired a professional choreographer to come in and set a piece, went to a local convention with other great studios did their piece. And then maybe a few pieces later, same exact piece from the same choreographer. So the same identical dance was competing at the same competition. 
Same competition. Yeah, wow. convention. Yes. So that's, that's what I, I mean, I just feel like that's just not creative and it's taking advantage of the studio and dancers. I mean, I, I definitely suggest make sure you have your choreographers, master teachers, anybody on contract so that you can protect your work at your studio. Yeah. I, I have a lot of thoughts on this and I, I've sort of witnessed it too, or I've, I've sat there and kind of questioned as a judge, like, I feel like I've seen this before. And, and it's almost in that moment, because the judges, FYI, everyone, the judges do not know who choreographs what dance at competition. We just know what, you know, the things we need to know, what age, what level, what this, what that, but we don't know who the choreographer is. So we, you know, are going into that completely blind. And I, I've definitely sat on judging panels where I've felt that I've seen it, but I can't tell if this is that choreographer presenting that work on another studio. And in a way that feels better than the studio ripping off the choreography from someone else and stealing it from a video, because that happens too, which I've seen in the dance teacher forums of like literally a studio putting another video side by side of a studio completely ripping off their dance. And that choreographer did not go set that dance. So it's like, those are two completely different situations. And at the regard, I think the second one is obviously way worse, but mm-hmm. I do think it's a little unethical for a choreographer to essentially create an original, quote unquote, original piece for this court for the studio and then pluck that original piece and go take it to another studio down the street. I mean, let's be real. If at the very, very least, set it on the opposite coast, set it on the right. a whole nother state. A far, far, far away where you know that that studio will never <laughs> see the, the other one. <laughs> but a judge could. A judge could. Absolutely. A judge could. And then yes. that's, where I, that's where I'm in that weird situation of, was this ripped off or is this the same choreographer putting the dance on different studios or like what's going on? And like, I guess with this question with years down the road, like a few years later, I mean, I think that the hard part, and I'm, I'm approaching this from like a guest choreographer myself, we put a lot of time and effort into the work that we produce. And oftentimes it is created for the studio, but then it also might've just been a really awesome dance with a really great concept, with an awesome music choice, something that really worked. And you, as a choreographer, you're still like dying to set that again. Like, oh, that dance was so good. I can't wait to redo that. I know studios who've done that. I know studios who actually recycle dances that have succeeded and done well in their studio and then like you know years down the road the the new kids come up through the ranks and they're like I'm they're so ready for that dance I'm gonna bring that dance back so oh yes you know yes they they paid for the choreography but in a weird way I still feel like it's a little bit theirs and in some way they were the creator so I don't I think if it's years later I don't think it's that big of a deal it should not happen the same season. Absolutely not. And I even think <laughs> no. like one or two seasons, I think like the five years is a good, okay, it's been, it's, there's been some, a chunk of time in between. <laughs> right. Like they've, they've gone from juniors to seniors. Like we've, right. we've changed levels a lot. Yes. Right. For sure. Yeah. But that's definitely a sticky one. Uh, I, I totally agree. I mean, I've, I've seen it. I've, I'm like you said, I've seen it on stage and I'm like, you know, I could be in, you know, Florida one weekend and I could be in California the next. So I, you know, 
you never know how, how, what judges see every single weekend and just be mindful of that. Mr. Joey Ortolani chimed in with some thoughts on this. I'll pop them up. He said, I've reset routines at another studio a certain number of years later. I feel the choreographer owns their choreography unless otherwise explicitly stated by the original studio. This year, I've reset a piece at my secondary studio I did 10 years ago at my home studio, but I would never do it in the same year or even in recent history. So that's fair. You know, 10 years, I feel like that's fine. I honestly, I think that's fine. And like I, like Joey said, I kind of feel like there's a little bit of, yes, you still kind of own it a little bit, especially if it's not laid out in a contract. And that was your first original advice, Jess, which I've actually recently had something that I experienced where I did not have a contract and it kind of bit me in the booty because I did it. And I, I have learned that lesson. So I think it's important if studios want to make sure that this is an original piece that won't be duplicated in a certain amount of time, lay that out in an agreement. Same with guest choreographers. If you want to be able to reset this somewhere else later down the road, lay it out in an agreement. But mm -hmm. I know from experience, and I'm sure Jess, I know you've, you've guest choreographed before as well, that mm -hmm. um, a lot of studios don't really ever say, here's an agreement to sign about guest choreography. No. And not too I find often. that weird, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, I mean... That could be a whole nother episode, Miss Courtney. You know what? <laughs> I think it's going to be. I definitely think, though, when I saw that post in Dance Teacher Network where two dances were literally side by side, identical, and someone was stealing choreography, I was like, that's a podcast episode. Like, we have yes. to do that. So, it's a hot topic. It is. It is. And especially with social media now, back in the day, I remember hearing crazy stories of people stealing choreography, but they would have like, to bring the camcorder into the actual live audition <laughs> with a tripod and they're like sneaky, like bring it on style, you know? Yeah. That's so funny. Now, like videos are uploaded on YouTube and, yes. you know, different platforms where you could teach yourself the dance. It's definitely right. possible. Um, yes. Not a good idea, but you will get caught. You will always get caught, everyone. I just want to let you know because this dance world is small. <laughs> It is. Even even like the theme or concept, if it's a really original concept, I mean, we're going to figure that out. Like I, I, I've, I judge every single weekend with several different companies. So I'm, we're going to figure it out that that concept was even copied. So be yeah. creative and, you know, use use your creative flow to get get yourself a new a new concept. Yeah, totally. for sure. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Well, I hope that was helpful to both of our pre-submitted anonymous questions. I have a question here that's for you, Jessica, coming from okay. Kristen. Yay. And Kristen said, do your children dance and do you teach them? If so, <laughs> what tips do you have for teaching your own child during their different ages and stages? All right, Miss Kristen, um, my daughter does dance. She's six years old. I actually have to take her to class this evening. And I am her dance teacher. So, um, yes, really, really love it. I, I think it's the most special time of the week for us to share something so special together. Right now, she's six years old, so she still loves her mom. You know, we haven't gotten to teen years yet, um, which I'm thankful for. Um, and we're, you know, we just have a great time in class and um, I'm not pushing her. I want her to just love it for what it is. And um, she she wants to be a dance teacher just like mom when she grows up. So we'll just Aww. keep it like that. 
Um, but she has a great little class that she dances with. And yeah, we'll just, I mean, she'll dance until she's doesn't want to dance anymore. I'm not going to push it too hard, but yeah. Aww, I love that. Yeah. Yay. It's a, the best class of the week. I mean, I love all my students, um, <laughs> but it's very special. Yes. So. Yeah. I'm sure um, teaching your own kid is definitely a tricky, a tricky one to navigate. And I cannot speak <laughs> on that at all because I do not have a child and I don't know if that's ever True. happening or when that's happening. So, um, <laughs> and I don't even know if they'd go to dance. I don't right. I know. That's always a, I love when people always, when, ha when they have babies, if they're, you know, a dancer themselves and people always ask, so when's your, when's your kid going to start dancing? And some, I've heard people actually be like, I'm not putting them into dance class. I'm just not doing it for whatever right. reason. Yeah. And like you said, if they love it, they love it. And, and you're not going to pressure them. You're going to just keep letting them do what they love. I think that's the most important thing when they're kids. Yeah. I mean, she like what a couple of weeks ago, she was like, mommy, like in class. I'm like, that's Miss Jess. You know, like, so I have to do set boundaries. Um, she will ask random questions, <laughs> like random growing up questions in the middle of class, not related to dance, but I love it. But, you know, it's. I think as we grow, I, I, I'll change and how my feelings are, but I do like to be a part of her training because I know I will give her the best training that, you know, I think as teachers, we kind of know what we want for our kids. And there's other dance teachers that I know will be like, I'm not getting involved. Like, here you go. Yeah. Train my daughter. And I just don't, there's a lot of sometimes drama behind that dancer. And I, I did tell my daughter, I said, you really have to earn the front row. You know, you have to earn everything that you do in dance because mommy can't get that for you. You have to earn it. So I think that's where a lot of dance teachers want to put their kids in other classes or places so that they get, get their true, become a true dancer without other people being like, oh, she's their kid. So yeah, that kind of feeling. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, I hope that was helpful for Kristen. <laughs> Thanks for asking a question. We have another one coming in from our comments. We have lots of questions coming into our comments. And this one is from Nikki. And they said, how do you choose summer conventions and events? My daughter is 12 and wants to attend different things, but I'm unsure where to start looking. Well, I mean, it just depends on kind of what style or what, what you're looking for in conventions. There's really so many, so many different conventions. I always say try to try to go during like the normal season, like you know, regionally to really find out which one you vibe with because there's so many different vibes um, so that you can find out like which one you like to go to the summer. Um, summer programs, I mean, you can look them up. Like Dance Magazine usually has them. I don't know. Do you know any other outlets like to look for uh, dance intensives? I mean, I feel like at this point, like Instagram, I mean, back to the social media. Yeah. No. I guess there needs to be like a compiled list somewhere of all of the mm -hmm. opportunities. I think that's what everyone's seeking because I feel like we get this question a lot as to, okay, I want to train in the summer, but I don't even know where, what are my, op what are my options to train? You hear about nationals all the time, but you never really hear about like these summer intensives and there's so many of them, but where's right. the list that compiles all of them? So maybe that's something we'll do over here for everybody because we were actually we have um, an episode towards the end of the season that we kind of have a, a gap episode and we're trying to decide the topic. And a lot of times in our group, people have said, let's do a summer intensive. I'd love to hear a summer intensive episode. So 
if y'all want that, we will give it to you. And then along with that, we can also maybe compile a list of all the different summer intensive options out there. My only concern is, is that I think that a lot of summer intensives, you uh, depending, like you said, Jess, on the style, sometimes you have to pre-audition for them, um, like now, and then you mm-hmm. have to get accepted into those summer intensives, whereas other ones are just open enrollment. You can sign up and register your kid. There's Joffrey in New York. There's, um, I'm sure, things on the West Coast. There's the Steps Intensives at Steps on Broadway in New York. There's a Broadway Dance Center Intensives. And there's I'm things gonna... locally, wherever you are, Miss Nikki. Um, look locally as well. I don't know how old your your dancer is 12. So yeah. look look locally as well. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's that's great advice. So we will give you all that summer intensive episode, I think, maybe later this season or at least at the very least next season. So hope that uh, we can compile a list for you, Nikki, and yes. all the other dancers out there that are wanting to continue to train in the summer. I mean, um, I work at for the Rock West and the Rock Dance Center in Philadelphia, and I know that they're having their final virtual audition. I think it's this weekend. You have to register for it. So just head to their Instagram. There's information on that. Um, but great program, six weeks. There's a dormitory right across the street. You don't have to be there for six weeks. There's actually a cafeteria on the second floor. Really, really amazing building um, and a great new artistic director to boot. So um, that's something to look at. Yeah. And so many. I was while you were saying that, I was also thinking of Commercial Dance Intensive, who has been on KC has been on our podcast in season one, and that's a great opportunity. They have a lot of summer op- options around the country mm-hmm. where dancers can kind of get a little foot in the door as to what it's like to be a commercial dancer and prepare for the professional world, which is a really exciting program that she offers. So we will make this happen. Let's get summer intensive podcast coming your way, y'all. Like that. Coming your way. <laughs> yeah. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. All right, here's another one that, and I have another question that will go alongside this in a minute um, that was previously submitted, but we'll go to Angie's question here. And she said, my daughter loves musical theater and dreams of Broadway. I research a ton. She trained at AMDA last summer and this year is doing taps in Vegas and GoPro in Branson. Do you think a college experience with a strong dance program or a specialized, a specialized trade school like TAPS would be a better path. My dance daughter is 16. I mean, I think, I think they should go with whatever they really love to do. I think their training speaks for themselves. I do know if you really, if they want to take, you know, teach one day in college or, you know, teach on a higher level, they really should have their college degree. And, mm-hmm. you know, but I do think that whatever makes them happy and however they want to fulfill their, you know, training to become like on Broadway is the best, the best way. Yeah, I agree. I think Angie, what's important for your daughter to decide now is does she, if she wants to be on Broadway, is she actively training in voice? Because that is huge and you can't be on Broadway without knowing how to sing a little bit doesn't matter how fierce of a dancer you are. Yeah, just a little bit. You just need to know how to sing a little. You'll get by, if, you know, but if you do, if you've never sang before, if you don't know what sheet music looks like, if you uh, are f- flat every time you sing, I mean, you, you have to, you have to not be, you don't have to sight read, but like having understanding of like previous musical experience, whether that's playing an instrument before or seeing sheet music, like 
you need to know those things going into Broadway. So if you are already a strong dancer, then I would say, no, you don't, you shouldn't go to school for dance. You should go to school for musical theater because that will help get you prepared for Broadway more than a dance program is. A dance program for the most part, unless you're going to maybe Oklahoma City University and there might be like Pace commercial dance in New York Mm -hmm. City, the programs are very much structured towards conservatory company-based programs that are modern dance and ballet focused. And that's not really what you need for Broadway. Broadway, you need to be working on monologues. You need to be working on your voice. You need to be in acting classes like learning the ins and outs, being in the musicals and in college and stuff like that. So regarding like the specialized programs, I think it really depends on how quick they want to go into the industry because I know like the TAPS program and AMDA, some have like a two-year program instead of committing to like a four-year degree at college. But I think a degree in musical theater over dance would make the most sense if you go the college route. Definitely. I wish I did that because I didn't know that I was going to want to be on Broadway. I like my story of New York and moving here and pursuing a Broadway career was I moved here as a contemporary dancer. And then I saw how much contemporary dance companies paid (laughs) and they don't pay a lot of money, y'all. So then I looked at auditions that said Broadway with, you know, over $1,000 per week. $1,500, $2,000 a week salary. And I said, cute, sign me up for that. But I didn't have any experience singing. So I had to play catch up my entire career, even to this day, I'm still doing that on learning how to sing and learning the ins and outs of what it's like to be a musical theater performer versus just a dancer. And they're Mm -hmm. two very different things. So that would be my best advice. And I think that it's great that she knows it's what she wants. But especially now at 16, now it's time to start really actively working on those things outside of dance definitely yes and andy says she is taking vocal we started this and ballroom to supplement great yeah the more she can do the better that's super important um training in all styles and because broadway is everything these days you don't know what you're getting on broadway contemporary ballet point baton twirling roller skating who knows what what's happening over there on the broadway so that was a great one thanks so much And it's also good that she's doing summer programs. That'll definitely help her. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Totally. Mm -hmm. We have another one that's kind of goes hand in hand with this. It was previously submitted. And this one says, my daughter recently went to New York City for a vacation and fell in love with the city. She now wants to move there to pursue dance after high school. Unfortunately, she is not a singer and has had limited acting experience. My question is, is it realistic to have a professional dance career in New York without being a triple threat? Or should we encourage her to try Los Angeles or cruise ships or something other than New York? Wow. Well, I, she, did you say she was 14? Um, It didn't did say her age? age, but she said that it, yeah, it does not say her age on this question, unfortunately. I mean, I do think that as, as a dancer, we need to be the most versatile and well-rounded as possible. We are in a dance world now that you, you shouldn't just be, you know, working on one style. You should be working on a whole full picture so you can be hired in any aspect of, you know, dance. So I would train I w- and I would tell any of my dancers, you need to train for every single audition, anything to be, you know, anything, any, and you could, I used to get called to go to a hip hop audition. I don't even do hip hop. Like, you know, go to, go, go to audition for a rap, rap video. And I was like, Ooh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, you know, you have to, when your agent calls, you have to be ready to go to that audition. So be a well-versed dancer. And there's so many dancers training like that. And I agree with Courtney, singing lessons are necessary. I heard be, from my um, vocal teacher at the high school where I, where I work um, that usually you don't start doing vocal lessons until 10 or 11 with um, children because of like their vocal cords and you don't want to mess them up. So I do, oh, she's 14. Okay. I see that. So she, she can have the vocal lessons now that she's 14, but I already have my daughter in queue when she can take voice lessons because I think it's so valuable to their whole package. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I, and I, I think that learning how to sing and also, like I mentioned before, learning the importance of reading sheet music will change you as a dancer on how you hear music overall. And because there are a lot of dancers who's honestly don't have the greatest musicality or don't even know how what counting their music even means. There's no way in the world that you are going to be able to learn how to sing and dance at the same time if you don't have a good understanding of timing, musicality, tempo, things like that. So learning how to sing might might help you in that musical realm of it's almost similar as taking tap. If you don't take tap, then your your ear for music isn't going to be as strong as if you if you do take tap for all your genres. It's going to apply to all genres. So incorporating voice into your training to be that triple threat is important. I will say that it is possible a thousand percent to have a career in New York without being a triple threat. It a thousand percent is. So to answer that, yes, you can. You can do whatever you want. If you want to be a contemporary dancer, you can be a contemporary dancer. If you want to be on Broadway, I know tons of of dancers on Broadway who do not sing, who do not know how to sing. And they are on Broadway. Now, not everybody gets that lucky, right? But (laughs) I mean, you know, it does exist. So like you can go in that direction. You can, the thing about New York and like, I love living here and it's my, my favorite city in the world. The jobs are here. Now, that doesn't always mean the job that you get will be in New York. You have to audition for the job in New York, and then the job takes you probably elsewhere. So even something like a cruise ship or something like a regional theater or something like a commercial gig, it might not even happen in New York City, but you have to be here to get the job. So that's the one tricky part about navigating like pursuing a professional career in New York, whereas like in Los Angeles... With TV and film, things happen there and they shoot the videos there. They shoot the music videos. They shoot the movies there. New York, things kind of take you everywhere, which mm-hmm. is exciting. But I, remember, I think my that- first my first audition, I like was singing. I like really like looked at the ground. I was like so nervous. Yeah. So it's a whole confidence thing as Absolutely. well. Like, I mean, you know, if you want to be on Broadway, if you want to do that kind of thing, you have to be able to take the part and and yeah. sell tickets, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. It's terrifying. I'm not going to lie. It is absolutely <laughs> terrifying getting in a room, standing in front of people, singing by yourself with a pianist. Like, <laughs> I do it on the weekly and it's scary every single time. It's never gotten easier for me. And But it is something that has made me a better performer. I actually do enjoy singing. I love singing and dancing at the same time in musicals. It's something I never thought I would do. But New York really opened my eyes to that. And I'm grateful that I've really put a lot of time and effort 
into, you know, learning how to sing. It's made me a better dancer, honestly. So I hope that your dancer does move to New York. Let me know when she does. She can come take my <laughs> class. I'll guide her through. I can be her mentor because it's challenging navigating a new city and, you know, making that work. But there are also some really great programs if she wants to go to New York for not college. There's AMDA. There's Broadway Dance Center, Pre-Professional Steps has a program. So there are really some great options for her to continue her training as well. Yay. And I teach a Steps on Broadway in New York. Angie, you asked. Yay. Come take my class. Woo. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I know, Jess, you have to to go take your daughter to dance at 3 o'clock. So we only have time for a few more questions. But we do have some more questions in the comments up here and I think I scrolled past one all right and that one was in real okay here's a great one um that I'm excited to and I'm I'm not gonna pop it up just because well I I can pop it up but it says Rebecca says it's autism awareness month do you like to know as a judge if a dancer has any specific and then she said challenges is what she meant to write if a dancer has any specific challenges so I didn't know it was Autism Awareness Month. That's really exciting. And um, I just would love to mention that, Rebecca, we actually just recorded last night our upcoming podcast episode for dancers with disabilities and special needs and how appropriate that's launching in April. So I had no idea it was Autism Awareness Month. So thank you so much for letting me know about that. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, as a judge, I think being aware of anything, um, letting us know anything is very, very helpful. I work with one uh, competition. Um, they actually started a new division. It's called the Real Division, R-E-A-L. It's with Revolution Talent. And um, they are, it's, it's for anybody with disabilities, uh, different things. And they're, they literally compete in their own category. They get judged differently. Um, and they still get like in the overalls in their own category. So it's really, it's really wonderful. And I think that everybody should be on the stage because there's room for everyone to perform and it makes it even more special and diverse. But yes, as a judge, I am, we receive notes all the time on different things and it's, it is helpful to, to make sure that we don't call out certain things and we, we judge you in the right way. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think it really just depends on what you, as if it's a parent asking or if it's a teacher asking, it depends on what you want out of it as well, because I feel like I know dancers who may have differences and things that they are navigating that they kind of don't really want to be felt like they look different or uh, dance different and don't and they want to kind of power through that. And it, if they are comfortable with not informing, then that is totally fine, too. And I think that it is, you know, in that scenario. And if there is something that might be said by a judge if a judge isn't aware then to just you know pass through that and don't even listen or just skip over that and move on to the next critique but then I do think that it can be in many situations very helpful for the judges if you want to prevent anything unnecessary said that you know could have could have been prevented if if the judges knew ahead of time so I I think it's just a preference on the parent the dancer and the teacher on what they would like to have said on the critique tape to make us aware. Absolutely. Yes. There have been- and this studio director is always like write notes or have the tabulator or someone write notes down to the judges so that it, it is, it, I think it is helpful. 
Um, because let's say spacing might be off or something, you know, just something different. And it definitely gives awareness for us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I, um, yes, you are welcome, Rebecca. And Re- I can't wait for everyone to tune in to this upcoming episode. And thank you so much for asking that question and letting us know that it's Autism Awareness Month. Yay. <laughs> Love it. All right, we probably have time for one more question for you, Jess. And this one is from an anonymous dance parent that was pre-submitted. And it's a long one, so get ready. Okay. (laughs) All right. So this one says, I have a daughter who is a pretty good dancer and works on her technique in and out of the studio. She's always been one of the dancers with a solo that has the highest adjudication and either places first, second, or third in overalls or somewhere in the top ten. This past weekend, she performed her solo, and it was fabulous, but like any dancer, she always has room to improve, but when it was time for adjudication and overalls, she received the lowest adjudication she has ever received. We went from a comp two weekends ago, being second overall with the highest adjudication, to not being in the overalls and having a pretty low adjudication, and her dancing really didn't change from one week to the other. The dancers that scored in the top were several girls from our studio who fell in their aerials, fell out of their turns, and other skills. They didn't even have, and they didn't have a little stumble. They stumbled big. We by far do not think my daughter is the best, but everyone was in shock on what her solo received, including her dance teacher and the girls who scored higher than her. My daughter was devastated, and it was the first time she felt she should stop competition dance. She is not a tumbler and does not have consistent aerial, so we do not have that in her solo. But she's an amazing turner, has beautiful extensions, and her movement is mesmerizing to watch. Do the judges tend to score higher for aerials and tumbling tricks? So that's the gist of it. <laughs> okay. Well, um, well, thank you for writing in this question. And uh, it sounds like you're a really supportive parent to your dancer and you care a lot about what they're doing on the stage. I think that, first of all, you want to make sure that this every time they are done competing on a weekend, that it's a learning experience. And just like we were talking about auditioning earlier, you, you just, you know, when you're in front of a panel of judges, you don't know like whether or like everybody's just so different. So the areas are different. There's so many different things, moving parts that just make up, you know, who wins and what and who gets third place or whatever. So there could be judges, you know, a judge could like vanilla ice cream and this judge could like chocolate ice cream. And then this judge might not even like ice cream. (laughs) So, you know, and then the next weekend, everybody could like vanilla ice cream. It's just, you know, it's, there's so many different, uh, like different things that could like make us decide, you know, who's getting first, you know, in our, in our judging that day, as well as the area and who's competing and who's, who's, you know, in your category. I mean, obviously I haven't seen your dancer or the other dancers, but I would just definitely recommend always make it a learning experience. We don't quit if we don't receive the award we want. We become um, humbled by it and we work harder and we come back stronger. That's what I tell my dancers. You know, again, there's just so many different things that can affect scores. And I tr- I tend to not watch other dance studios and what other dancers are doing. I like to, you know, really focus on my dancers and their journey. And that's my my biggest recommendation for you. Focus on your dancer's journey. Focus on how we can make them, you know, feel better about that moment and how can we move on becoming a stronger, fiercer dancer and, you know, take it lightly 
and it's not, it doesn't really show you who you are as a person. And that's the most important thing to under, to know. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I understand the frustration for the dancer being that she felt like that she danced her best and it worked one weekend and it didn't work the next weekend. That is definitely a tough thing to kind of figure out and navigate. Like, wait, I feel like I danced better this time. Why did I score lower? But like you said, uh, and I think, you know, it is important to kind of hear uh, from this parent that usually this dancer scores higher than the dancers who ended up scoring higher than her for the second weekend. And like, you know, everyone's like, what's going on? I mean, like you said, just so many factors in this. And again, it's just an opinion. So, you know, maybe the judges just wasn't weren't feeling it this time. And regardless if it was your best, maybe they just were like, mm, I like this choreography better. or I like the way this dancer moves better. Or I think this dancer has better technique or whatever it may be. But also then I start, you know, kind of questioning, were the scores input correctly? I feel like that I've heard of those things happening too, where we're doing so many things at the judges table that they fly by, they completely just keep charging ahead. And if the tabulator missed something where, you know, especially if this dancer is getting first overall and or at least in the top 10, and then it's getting like three adjudication scores lower. I mean, that's kind of weird to me. And it makes me question, like, did someone punch in a seven instead of a nine? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking. I mean, also, when you go to two different competitions, judges are scoring on different things. So I always say, like, some competitions are like 50%, you know, technique. And then there's others that are like 50% technique. And then there's there's a breakdown of long lists of performance and costume. And then there might be just two to like one is 50 and one is 50 here for choreography and performance. So there's a lot of, again, variables and what the judges are looking for, for scoring, but that definitely could happen. Really look at your scores. Judges should always be backing up their score. And if, if it's a technical thing or if it's a performance thing, and she did ask questions about like tricks in solos, you know, I mean, if it's placed in the right category, I don't think that we have to judge a lyrical piece based on their their aerial and their their acros skills, right. you know. So I think as judges, as of recently, acro has become a like ingrained and more threaded through all material yeah. on stage. And two and two, sometimes judges are getting frustrated there's too much acro in solos. Mm-hmm. So be mindful of rules. Be very mindful of rules. Um, sometimes they only let you do two or three in certain um, genres, unless it's acro or open. Uh, it, I don't know. Everybody's different. So be mindful of yeah. those rules. And no, I do not look at you know pieces and say, oh my gosh, there's so many, so much acro. I'm going to score them higher. Right. Yeah. I I'm, I'm totally in agreement. We do not score higher based on acro. I think that the majority of judges out there wish there was less acro in dances. And I think that's the misconception that everyone's like, well, the acro is winning. So I'm going to put acro in the dance. And it's like, no, actually, this is a lyrical dance. And I want to see you do a PK arabesque with a turned out supporting leg. I care more about that than if you did an aerial because an aerial at this point, every dancer on down the street can do an aerial. And it's almost just another dance step at this point for me. So it's it's not special anymore. It's everyone can do it. But I care about your movement quality, your technique, how you're performing, what your transitions look like. If you're stepping up off the floor to a ball heel, if you're presenting your foot with a turned out standing leg, 
things like that matter to me in the lyrical division more than an aerial or a tumbling pass. Yes, yes. And I was not raised in acro. I, I kind of was before that time in the studio. So I, I definitely went to a more artistic college, uh, North Carolina School of the Arts and University of the Arts. So that's just something that wasn't ingrained in me. I do think that, you know, having skills are important, but that's not what's the most valuable to their dance. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Well, Jess, it's about that time that you have to take your daughter to dance class. Hey, yes, it's it's that time of day. We all have to go to go to the studio, right? Yep, it's three o'clock studio time. So yes. everybody, please say goodbye to Miss Jessica. She answered so many fabulous questions. Thank you so much, Jess, for joining us on the episode. I loved having you today. Thank you for having me, you guys. Have a great afternoon, and I will see you guys around. Bye, Jess. Bye. All right. Sadly, Jess is gone. Oh my gosh. So sad she left, but she is so fabulous. And I'm so glad she was able to join us on our final Q&A with Courtney. Thank you to everybody who sent in so many questions. I am so happy to see so many people here for tuning in from all around the world. I'm so blown away by Australia. Wow. So exciting. Um, And we're so grateful for all of the fans out there who have continued to support us, who continue to listen every single week to making the impact we really couldn't do it without you and we're gonna keep charging ahead nice and strong straight into season four uh which we already were excited about looking at some of the topics that we're going to tackle in season four because season three only has about two months left so it's the top of april right now our season is going to end at the end of may the top of june we take some months off so we can do our thing in the summer and refresh and get ready and brainstorm And then uh, season four is coming your way in the fall. So uh, I hope that you enjoyed this month's Q&A with Courtney episode. If you did, let us know in the comments. Give us a shout. And if you'd like to support us on Ko-fi, don't forget you can buy us a coffee at ko-fi.com slash making the impact. And you can also leave a review and we will give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. Also, before we leave, I want to let y'all know that IDA's online judges critiques are still available and they are available year round. So if you have a dancer or a solo or a group dance from the studio that you would like to submit to IDA's online judges critiques, you can send the video our way. It can be a rehearsal video or it can be a previous stage video. And maybe you want to get another fresh set of eyes to check it out. Or maybe you have a specific section in the dance that isn't really working and you want to ask a judge's opinion on how can we fix this? That is what we're here to do. We will give you a personalized in-depth feedback on our online judges critiques. And if you opt in for the additional feedback, then your judge will even go back through your dance from beginning to end, pause your video and elaborate even more on detailed feedback to really help take your performance to the next level. We have this, this service has been so popular this season, y'all. I mean, our judges are working (laughs) like crazy to get these online critiques over to you. So if you want to experience the online critiques, send your video over to us now at impactdanceadjudicators.com slash online critiques. Critiques start at only $35 and we'd love to see your dance. Well, that's a wrap, everyone. I am so grateful that you tuned in. Thanks for joining us on this month's Q&A with Courtney episode. I hope you had fun. I hope you got your questions answered. And we will continue to be doing these live events even more into season four with some new guests joining us to answer all of your questions. 
Sending my love. Sending, I hope you have a fabulous competition season. We'll see you next time. Me and Chico say bye. Bye, Facebook world. See you. Thanks so much.